Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to the Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 will begin today. Revelation chapter 7. The last time we were together, we were in chapter 6. And chapter 6 is where the seals of the book began to be opened. We found out six seals, six of the seven seals have been opened at this time. And catastrophic events are taking place. The four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse have come in. Not only that, there's been the martyrs. Those who are martyrs who are asking God, when is it going to be time that you're going to bring judgment upon those who've killed us? And then there's a catastrophic event of the earthquake, the sun, the moon, the stars, all those things that are happening in the universe whereby God is shaking the world. And whenever that takes place, the question is asked by those who are running from God and begging and asking the rocks to save them. They're still not turning to God, even though they should at this time. The question was asked in verse 17, who is able to stand? In the midst of all of this, who is able to stand? Or a different way of asking it is who can be saved? In in these years of tribulation, in these seven years of of hardship and, and pain beyond what anybody's ever seen or imagined, the question is, Who can or will there be any people that are saved during the tribulation? So chapter 7 is what is called an interlude. It is a parenthesis. You remember in English, when you put a parenthesis around something, it was something that was added that could take out and doesn't change the meaning at all. It's something that's added to give clarity. Well, chapter 7 is an interlude. And that interlude is to answer that question Who can or is anyone saved in this horrible time of the great tribulation? Now, for those of you who haven't been with us, remember what's taken place. The church has been raptured. The church has has left here. And they're represented by the 24 elders that are sitting before the throne of God. And whenever Jesus comes and takes his church and the Holy Spirit goes, it's in the church, the restraining one is taken, then it enters into seven years of tribulation. Following those seven years of tribulation is going to be the second coming of Jesus, which is primarily a Jewish event. Then there'll be the millennial reign, and that's what the rest of the revelation is about. Where we are now is that the church has been raptured. We've seen what's happened in heaven. We've seen the first six seals of that book be opened, and now there is this interlude that is going to answer that question, who can or is anyone saved during the tribulation time? And then in chapter 8, you'll find in verse 1, it picks back up that the seventh seal is going to be broken. The seventh seal is going to be broken, which is going to usher in the seven trumpets, and then it's going to be the seven bowls of wrath. And in the midst of those, there's some other interludes that give you information that you need or I need that help us to understand or to answer questions about the revelation. So the primary thing of this interlude is, can anyone or will anyone be saved during these seven years? Now, I gave you something a couple of weeks ago. I was out last week, gave you something a couple of weeks ago. It's a chart 
about the 483 years in the Jewish calendar. I want to put it up on the screen for you so that you can see it. Remember that Daniel prophesied that God would use Israel for 490 years to be his primary witness to the world. 490 years. And he tells specifically when that was going to happen. He said that is going to be, that is going to happen whenever the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt and reestablished. So we know when that happened. We know that happened in 444 B.C. Now it says that they're going to be 483 years between that and the time that the Messiah is recognized and the Messiah is cut off. Who's the Messiah? Jesus. When was he recognized? In the triumphal entry. When was he cut off? When he was crucified by the Jews. And it's going to be 483 years, seven years, 62, or seven weeks, 62 weeks. Remember, each of those weeks represents seven years. And so when you have 70 weeks of years, it's 490. They're going to be seven, they're going to be 62, they're going to be 69 years, which is 483, that they're going to be a witness. And that happened. From 444 B.C. to A.D. 33, you see on the Gregorian calendar, it's 476 years, but the Jewish calendar over here is always 360 days in a year. It's 12 months, 30 days. And you see how it ends up 483 years. It gives you the precise days down to the number of days, 173,880 days between the time that the wall was built and established, Jerusalem was established and the Messiah was recognized and cut off. But hold on. God said to Daniel, they're going to be 490 years that they're going to be my primary witness. But whenever this happens that the Messiah is cut off and Jesus dies and resurrects, it begins what is called the church age. We are in the age of the church. Jesus established the church. And during all these years that we're in right now is the church age. And that will go until the rapture of the church. When the church goes up in the rapture, the church age is over. And it ushers in the rest of the 490 years when the Jews will be the primary witness for God. And that leaves us what? Seven years. Seven years of the tribulation are a time when the Jews, not the Gentiles... The Jews who've rejected Jesus, he was the stone rejected by the builder who became the chief cornerstone. He's the one that whenever they rejected the stone, Jesus turned to others, and that would be the Gentiles and the the church age. But it comes back now that seven years, the Jews are going to be the primary witnesses of who Jesus is. And it talks about that here in chapter 7. Look what it says, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Stop there for just a minute. What is the picture up? He says, God, let me see something. He let me see that what actually took place before any of the trouble or tribulation started. He let me see in the realm of heaven, and I saw there were four angels, the angels of God. And they're on the four corners of the earth, and they have a job, and their job is to hold back the winds from the earth. Now, winds are always a picture of judgment or destruction. The winds of pain and trouble are going to come in that tribulation time. 
that judgment's about to enter into the world and all those things that are happening in the, in the breaking of the seals and the trumpets. Wrath. That's the wind of God ushered in by the angels of God to bring about the judgment of God upon a sinful world. But he says, before that, he sees that, that the angels are holding back the wind. There is no judgment until something happens. Look what it says in verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now, hear what he said? Before any of the judgment's going to start, before any of the winds are allowed to blow, he says that one angel says to the other angels, you hold back the wind. There is no judgment until first there must be the bondservants of God who will be sealed by the name of God. They must be first sealed and established. And when they are sealed and established, then the tribulation might come. You get it? Before there's any judgment, before any of the pains come, before any of the tribulation starts, God is going to first seal his bondservants. He's going to seal them, and he's going to seal them in such a way that they are prepared and they are ready to do their work in the midst of the time of tribulation. Let me tell you how good a God we serve, all right? Do you know we serve a good God? Amen. That's a little, that's pretty good. Let's try that again. You know, we serve a really good God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We serve a wonderful, gracious God. Let me tell you how good a God we serve. That before the tribulation time, that's going to be the worst things that's ever happened in this world. And the things that were discovered that's going to take place, the judgment of God. God prepares a witness, really multiple witnesses, puts his seal around those witnesses, places them right in the middle of this world to be a witness of his mercy and grace and the testimony of the salvation that is still available in Jesus. I want to tell you, that's a good God, amen? (laughs) I mean, if I were God, I would think they had ample time to respond, now the judgment comes, but not our God. Our God, first, before tribulation happens, he places a seal, a seal around those who are going to be his witnesses for God, for the kingdom, about Jesus. He places them, gets them in position before he ever allows tribulation to take place. Now, what is this seal or why is this seal given? What does it represent? Well, just write these things down. The seal of God represents three primary things. First of all, it represents the possession of God. That when something is sealed, that seal means that they are possessed by God. God owns them. God is in charge of them. God is responsible before them. You saw that in life. God put his seal on Noah before there was ever a flood, right? God put his seal on Lot before there was ever the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God put his seal on Rahab before Jericho fell. And why was that? Because God said, they are my possession. They are mine. 
That seal represents possession. It also represents protection. Write that down. The seal of God represents protection. Protection, that means that when God's in charge and God has sealed whatever he has sealed, no one anywhere of all creation has power to overcome his power. Therefore, they are protected under his seal. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Think about the seal of God upon different people. The nation of Israel had the seal of God placed upon it when they were in Egypt and the plagues were happening. Go back and read that. Because they were the possession of God, God protected them. And when plagues would take place, it happened to the Egyptians, but it didn't happen to the children of Israel. When the death angel passed and they were under the blood of the Lamb, what happened? Because they were sealed and protected, the death angel passed over them and affected the Egyptian family, but not those who were under the blood because they had the seal of God. Right? What about the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What about their lives? They had the seal of God upon them. And even though Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the midst of the fiery furnace, it says they came out not even smelling like smoke. Amen? How could that possibly be? Because they had the seal of God upon them. And that means the protection of God. These who are going to be sealed by God are his possession. They are his possession, but they are also protected by him. And if God is protecting them, nothing is going to touch them. Nothing is going to phase them. Nothing is going to be able to pull them down, even in the midst of the tribulation time. I'll show you that in just a minute in another chapter of Revelation. All right? A third thing, though, that the seal will represent. The seal represents the power of God. The power of God. Whenever someone is sealed, they have the anointing of God upon their life. And they have the opportunity of experiencing the divine power of God in and through their lives. You see that in the church. The church was founded and established in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit of God came upon and rested upon them like the tongues of fire. And what happened to them? They began to preach the gospel of Christ. And people heard it in their own language. And 3,000 souls got saved that day. And 5,000 souls a few days later. And a lame man walks and a dead person rises. How could that possibly happen? Because they were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. They were sealed by God and therefore they had the power of God in their lives. See, when it says, you can't do anything until I first have my bondservants who are going to be sealed in order to be effective and to be my possession, in order to be protected, in order to be the power of God in the midst of the tribulation, that is so very, very important. But let me tell you a good word, all right? You need a good word today? Amen. You need a good word today? For those of you who want a good word, listen, the rest of you just go back to sleep, okay? I'm going to give you a good word. Here's the good word. Whenever you got saved, you were sealed. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, read that. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. 
You know what that means? You are God's possession. You are his own. You know what that means? That you are protected by Almighty God. That means nothing touches your life except God would allow it for your good and for his glory. You understand that? And it it means this, that you have the power of God in your life. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's worth coming today. If you didn't hear another word, that's worth coming to know that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. God has sealed these bondservants. God has sealed these witnesses. But what is this seal? What is it? Let me show you another verse. Turn over to, to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. We're introduced again to these people who are about to be introduced to us in chapter 7. They're called the 144,000. Okay? The 144,000. Why don't you listen to what it says in verse 1 of chapter 14. And I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on the mountain with him were 144,000. Having, here listen, here it is. Having his name... And the name of his father written on their foreheads. Do you get the picture? Here's that 144,000 we're about to be introduced to who are sealed. Go back to chapter 7. It says we're going to seal them on their where? On their foreheads. Back in chapter 14, you find out. Here's the Lamb of God, which is Jesus, standing with 144,000, which tells you this. Let me tell you what. It tells you this, that the tribulation has progressed. It's towards the end of the tribulation in chapter 14, and all 144,000 are still intact. Amen? Now, you've got to get that picture of that. You're going to have the Antichrist. You're going to have Satan himself, the Antichrist, who is going to be battling and trying to kill every believer. Anybody who gets saved, they're going to be trying to kill them. And here are those 144,000 sealed by God who are the witnesses for God, and he can't do anything with them. He can't kill them. He can't touch them. They're still intact in chapter 14 towards the end of the tribulation time. But what did it say? They were sealed what? With the name of Jesus and the name of his Father. What is the sealing? The sealing of these back here in chapter 7 is the name of Jesus and God upon their forehead. I don't know if that's going to be Jesus across their forehead. I don't know what it's going to be. But I can tell you this. In the spiritual realm, they're going to be sealed where everybody knows whose they are. Amen? And how does that happen? Once again, it happens the same way with us. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come and seal them. In other words, even though the Holy Spirit of God departs with the church, the Holy Spirit of God is still going to have a ministry in the tribulation time when he comes, and he's going to be sealing one thing, sealing these believers, sealing these witnesses, and he is going to be the anointing of the power of God upon their lives. That's the seal. That's what is the seal. And here's the question. Who are these that are the bondservants and sealed by God? Back to chapter 7, verse 4. That's what it says. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. You ought to underline that. From every tribe of the sons of Israel. It goes down with great detail. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. 
From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Isn't it interesting that whenever in the Revelation, sometimes there's these great generalizations of statements that are made in one verse. But here, with great specificity, he says, listen, there are going to be 12,000 from each of these tribes, and here are the names of the tribes. Why do I say that to you, and why is that so important? Because we need to know who are these 144,000. Who are they? Okay? It's very important that you get in your mind. Who are they? Well, let me tell you a couple of things I can guarantee you they're not. All right? Our friends of Seventh-day Adventists think that they are the 144,000. All right? They're not. All right? They think they are because, and I'm being critical, because they are the true believers who still worship on the Sabbath day. They believe they're the 144,000. Not to want to disappoint them, but that's not who they are, okay? Somebody else that they are not is the Jehovah's Witness. You ever encountered Jehovah's Witness? Jehovah's Witness, whenever they first got started with the Watchtower Bible Society, they said that the 144,000 were the Jehovah's Witnesses, that they were the ones who'd be the 144,000, but they ran into a problem. You know what happened? Their numbers outgrew 144,000. So now they had to change their theology. When you're having to change your theology because your numbers don't work out, you're in trouble. Amen? So now there's just a certain special group that's going to be the 144,000 is going to be there. And then there's going to be the others that are just going to be earth dwellers. So the 144,000 have already been chosen. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness or you know somebody, they're not going to be one of those. Well, let me tell you, they ain't none of them going to be there anyway, amen, if they don't believe in Jesus, except Jesus Christ, Lord, but they are not the 144,000. Hold on a second. Let me tell you somebody else they're not, or I don't believe they are. They are not the church. Some theologians will try to interpret that the 144,000 are the church, and that instead of the rapture, the church goes through the tribulation time, and the church is the witness of that Well, the problem with that is that you're going to have to decide where the church is in the revelation some way. We believe, I believe, that the church is represented by the 24 elders, that being all the redeemed from the Old Testament, 12, and from the New Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, those represented the 24 elders, that the 24 elders that are there on those smaller thrones by God, who are there going to be ruling with God, are the church. The church has been raptured and is there. Therefore, the church is no more, so these 144,000 in the midst of tribulation are not the church. For those who try to say that the church, you're going to have to make up your mind the church is somewhere. The church cannot be in heaven, and the church can't be on earth. The church can't be the 24 elders. They can't be the martyrs, and they can't be the 144,000. You've got to find out where they are somewhere, all right? What I'm comfortable with is I believe the church is raptured, is gone, represented by 24 elders, and now it's the time for God to raise up the 144,000 during the tribulation time, and who are those going to be? They're going to be the Jews. Why? Because there are seven years remaining. 
that the Jews will be the primary witnesses to the Lamb of God. Seven years remaining where they will be the central focus of sharing the glory of God. And in these seven years, that completes the 490 years that Daniel foretold, these seven years are going to be when the Jews stand up and the Jews are counted for. And the first of those are going to be these 144,000 Jews. 12,000 from 12 tribes. Now, let me tell you something about that. Nowhere in the Bible, when it mentions the 12 tribes, is there ever any place that is not talking about Jews. Understand that? Any place in the Bible it talks about the 12 tribes, it's always referring to the Jewish nation. Therefore, whenever John sees this and the angel gives this to him and Jesus helps him understand, he specifically wants to identify that these are 12 tribes, not only 12 tribes of Israel. He names them specifically and tells what number will be from each of the tribes. Therefore, being that specific, it's pretty obvious that the literal, instead of the mystical understanding of that, the literal understanding is that these 144,000 are going to be Jews who are sealed as bondservants of God to be used as witnesses for Christ in the time of the tribulation, protected by Almighty God. Amen? Now, now let me tell you how exciting that is, all right? Yeah, how exciting it is. There were 12 Jewish men who were the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ who turned their world upside down. Isn't that true? Isn't that what it says in the book of Acts? It says, these men have come among us and they have turned the world upside down. 12 Jewish men. Let me tell you something. Listen, listen to me. If 12 can turn that world of that day upside down, what do you think 12,000 times 12 can do? Let me tell you what. When a Jew comes to know Jesus Christ and they are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and they are redeemed, they have a passion that sets us Gentiles aside. They have a passion and a power and an anointing that God gives to them in a special, unique way. And what in the world is going to take place when these 12,000 times those 12, 144,000 anointed, sealed witnesses for Almighty God are going to be in the midst of the tribulation. It is going to be a worldwide revival. Can you imagine... 144,000 Billy Grahams. What could 144,000 Billy Grahams do? Turn the world upside down. And God says before there's ever one wind of adversity that blows, I have my 144,000 Witnesses, anointed, sealed, ready to tell about the Lamb of God. Ready to share about the Lamb of God. 
So some of those people answering the question, some of those people who will be able to stand, some of those people who will be saved in the tribulation are going to be these 144,000 witnesses, Jews who are committed to Christ. You know what's great about it? Turn over to Revelation 14. It tells you what these guys are like. It tells you who they are. It tells you how committed they are. That's what he says. Verse 2 of chapter 14. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of the loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they, listen, they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. And here we are, and the elders. That's where you are, brother and sister. All right. They're coming here and they're going to sing a song. Listen to this. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Did you know that those 144,000 are going to learn a song that nobody else knows? And you know why they're going to sing that song? Because they've been purchased from the earth by the blood of the Lamb of God. They're going to have an experience of their salvation unlike any of us in the church have ever experienced. And they're going to sing a song that we have never heard, and the only ones who can sing it are those 144,000. But look what it, how it describes them in verse 4. It says this, These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth, for they are blameless. Let me tell you what that's kind of a picture of. It's a picture of whenever God comes and He's going to choose these 145,000. He doesn't do that randomly. But somehow, someway in the hearts of these men, these 144,000 witnesses, in them there is this aspect of wanting to be pure in their life. They're wanting to seek something that's greater than who they are or what they are, but they really don't know what that is, but they're going to discover it's going to be the Lamb of God. There is no lie on their lips, and they are blameless before Almighty God. There are these that God is preparing, and their hearts are ready, so that when it is time, God is going to choose them, and God is going to anoint them by His Spirit to be that witness. The only thing I can think that compares to that is in the book of Acts where Cornelius, you remember Cornelius? Cornelius was a Roman, and he was a centurion, but he was a godly man, and he prayed often and gave alms to God. And because he prayed and gave alms to God and he was a righteous man, God gave him a vision, told him to send and get Peter and bring Peter over to preach to his family. Peter came over and preached to his family and midway through the sermon, Cornelius and all his house got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. It was the fact that they had already had a heart towards God. They had a longing for God. They wanted to serve God, the God they didn't know. But because they had in their heart, God said, all right, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. And you're going to be one of my chosen. That's what I believe is going to happen with these Jews. They're longing for God. They have a purity in their life. They're not telling lies. They're blameless in their heart. They just don't know the Lamb. And God's going to choose them. And God's going to anoint them. And God's going to say, you are mine. And they're going to be one of that great army of 144,000 believers. And you know who they're described as right here? That they are the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. First fruits, what does that mean? Well, first fruits means the first who are saved. 
Well, they're not a first fruits. They're saved. I've been saved. Amen. It's the first fruits of those who are being saved out of the tribulation. They're the first one. They're the first ones who are going to be saved and redeemed and sealed by God. In the midst of the tribulation. And now that they have been changed and they have been redeemed and they've been sealed and they've been filled and they've been empowered. They're going to go out and they're going to share their faith and they're going to share the message of the Lamb. And you know what's going to happen? Multitudes of people are going to be saved. Jews and Gentiles alike. That's what the rest of chapter 7 is. That's what we'll be talking about. Next week, we'll come together and we'll talk about those who are going to be saved who are the Jews and the Gentiles who are not the 144,000. But I want to tell you, go read it before you get there. There's a great price to be paid. Whenever these people get saved, there are many of them who are going to be martyred. Many of them are going to be killed. It's like the idea that there'd be a great arena and somebody, one of these witnesses is preaching the gospel of Christ And thousands get saved, but on the way out, the Antichrist has it where they just march them right on in, and they are all killed one by one. And they have to give their life, literally give their life, in order for them to be saved in the midst of the tribulation time. But they gladly do it. But that old preacher walks out. He can't touch him. They can't touch him because he's been sealed by Almighty God, and he is busy leading people to Christ even in the midst of tribulation. You might say, well, Brother Mac, then I think I'll just wait to get saved to tribulation time. That would be foolish. (laughs) That would be foolish. First of all, today is the day of salvation. Amen. Today is the day of grace. Today, when you come and give your heart to Christ, our people will rejoice and the kingdom of God will rejoice. It's the day of grace. It's the mercy seat. Give your heart to Christ today. Don't wait till you have to give your life, amen? Don't wait till you have to give your life. Well, let me tell you another thing, and this is what I believe with all my heart. I'll share this more next week with you. I personally believe that if you've heard the gospel of Christ and God has spoken to your heart, you felt that yearning in your spirit that you need to give your life to Jesus, and you reject that, and you say, no, I'm not giving my heart to Christ, then I believe the Bible teaches That whenever the time of the tribulation comes and whenever the time of this horrible experience of life will come, I personally do not believe that you will have the opportunity to respond because you rejected the opportunity in the day of grace. You miss Jesus. Those Gentiles who are going to be saved, those Gentiles who are going to respond when these preachers preach and when the witness preach, when they read the Word, those Gentiles are Gentiles who have never heard the word of God. In Matthew 24, it talks about that. Many people misunderstand that they'll say about the Great Commission. You know, that Jesus is not going to come until all nations have heard the gospel of Christ. That's not talking about the rapture of the church. That's talking about the second coming. The rapture of the church, I believe, will take place before all nations have the opportunity to hear. But once... The church is raptured, and these 144,000 witnesses who are anointed by God, these Jewish witnesses, they're going to go to all the world. And all the world will hear the gospel of Christ before he comes at the end of the tribulation on the second coming. All the world will hear. But my friend, today, you are without excuse. Because why? 
Because God in his grace, mercy, and kindness has given you the opportunity to hear. You've been given the opportunity to hear. I dare say most of you have been given the opportunity to hear multiple times that Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for my sin and your sin. And the only hope we have of salvation is that we believe that when he died, he died for me. And I ask him to forgive me of my sin and sorrow over my sin. I beg of him to forgive me, to cleanse me. And I believe his shed blood made me right with Almighty God. And I put my faith and trust in him. It's not what I understand. It's what I believe. It's not what I can grasp in my mind. It's far beyond what I can grasp in my mind. But it's the grace of God. And when God speaks to your heart and he says that in your heart, you need to be saved. Today, you need to be saved. Friend, do not reject that. What a privilege. What a privilege. And today, some of you maybe have never given your heart to Jesus. You've heard the gospel. You maybe reject him. Do not reject him today. Give your heart to Christ today. Today is a wonderful day to be saved. Amen. Do not face tribulation without Jesus, knowing that you already have had the chance to respond to him. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.